good to see everybody this morning. Um, we are going to be finishing the book of Haggai, that little bitty two-page book in our Bibles. If you want to, on the Red Pew Bibles, it's page 938. We'll be doing the second half of chapter two this morning. Um, I, I called this sermon Rebuilding Our Hearts. I, I struggled kind of trying to find um, the best way to summarize the message here, and I, I think the best way to do it is when maybe you've, you've, I'm sure we've all been in a situation where you're having dinner with somebody or whatever, especially you guys with beards, you, you know how this goes, and you just get stuff in there, right? The cream cheese from the bagel or whatever, and you have that really good friend that says, like, you, you got stuff on you. Because you wouldn't really have known that your face was dirty unless somebody pointed it out, right? And just with that image, I, I think that's the best way to kind of talk about what these returned exiles, if you remember the story that we've been tracking with in this little bitty book of Haggai, this is um, some decades after Israel had been kicked out of the land. They had uh, returned. God had called them back and opened a door for these um, exiles to be returned. Uh, these are the children of that generation and also some of the older ones who were there as well. Originally, they came back. They had built their homes. They got comfortable. They had some economic prosperity and they weren't rebuilding the temple. They weren't seeking God's presence. And the prophet Haggai came to, to redirect their course, to, to get to speak to their hearts and say, you need, you're in the promised land, but you're not seeking God. If you remember what Moses said, we looked at Moses in, in, in the first week here that he said, I don't wanna go to the promised land if you aren't gonna be there, God. I don't wanna go there if you're not going with us. But these return exiles had got there but they weren't seeking the very presence of God as they were there. They were trying to enjoy this promised land without the one who promised them the land. And so here we're gonna talk about um, uh, the nature of their work that was defiled, okay? So we get a date in this text um, beginning in verse 10. It actually says on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, this is, the month of December, okay? And that's important to remember because, or to know in this passage because December was after the harvest, all right? They had went through the fields, um, you know, that time was over and it was kind of the, the time when they took into account all the things that God had provided for them that year. So that's important to note because we're gonna see it wasn't exactly what they expected. But first, Haggai has a couple of like images or a way, his own kind of way of trying to communicate what God wants him to share with these people. And so we're gonna read here in the first two verses, it says on the 24th day, the ninth month, the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person carries consecrated or set apart meat in the fold of his garment, you know, in our context, think of putting it in your pocket, right? And that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food. Does it become consecrated? Does it become set apart? Does it become holy? The priest answered, no. Without getting too lost in the weeds here, there was um, foods that were clean and unclean for Israel, right? And um, uh, set apart 
foods that were, you know, is even set apart food in the, um, in the temple itself. Uh, if you get that piece of holy food and touch something, that's, that thing doesn't become holy. The best way to say it is, if your hand is dirty, covered in grease, you touch something, you get grease on that. If your hand is clean, you don't touch something and somebody says, man, somebody's really clean hand just touched the sink. No, right? You don't leave a mark because of your cleanliness. That's kind of the first image we're getting here, right? So they said no. But he goes on to kind of the second image here in verse 13. But if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Um, in, in the book of Numbers and also in Leviticus, we see that um, if if somebody had come into contact with somebody who had passed away and they had touched their body, um, the priest would be able to declare that person unclean. And there was a whole ritual ceremony for them to become clean, okay? And he's getting somewhere with this whole defiled nature, right? Because if, you, if you're unclean in the ancient you know, Hebrew world here, if, if you yourself were unclean, when you touch something else, then that would become unclean. Okay, it will be passed down. Okay, unlike the holy food. You guys tracking with that? That's all we really need to know about these first few verses. Okay, if you're unclean, it makes what you're touching and what you're engaging in also unclean. And this is what the word is for these people. Verse 14. So it is with this people and with this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Verse 15 here. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Whatever they do and whatever they offer is defiled. Now give careful thought to this day on, uh, to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid upon another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight and mildew and hail, yet you still did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. So these people, it was December, right? And they had just began building this Lord's temple. They just started the project here. But as they were looking at their harvest that year, they were seeing something very lackluster, unexpected Results. They sowed really well. They worked really hard. This is, an, you know, a farming society. You survive by planting your food, right? You didn't go to ShopRite in ancient Israel. And so their harvest was not what they expected. And God's giving them the reason for that, right? Because he's saying their, their work was defiled. Their work was defiled because we're going to see their hearts were defiled, their, what they put their hands to was producing lackluster results because the heart that was driving those hands was defiled. Jesus spoke this way about the importance of a clean heart. Okay, in Matthew chapter 15 is what we see. And he called the people to him, this is Jesus, right? And he says, um, uh, we called the people to him and said to them, Here, understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. 
Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Lead them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both fall into a pit. Okay, and he continues on. Peter says, please explain all these things to us. And Jesus says, are you still without understanding? Do you see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and that defiles a person. What comes out of the heart what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart that defiles a person from out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But the outward actions of you know, washing hands or rituals, that those don't make anything, anyone clean. Their hearts were defiled, making their work defiled. I want to take that question and ask some hard questions about the church in general, um, yes, about Emmanuel Church, but also just the church in our own country. Because it's a very interesting question. If you look at the, the direction of this, these verses, Haggai is telling them that the work that you're doing is not producing results because it's your heart that is not correct. You, you, you were not seeking me. You were not seeking his, you know, my presence. They were not seeking his presence. So is it possible that the work of the church could also be defiled or be producing, you know, half or less than half of the results that we may expect because of a issue within, because of a heart issue, because of the motives of why we do the things that we do in church. Um, this is, I'm going to explore a couple of questions here, okay? Because um, I, I, it's, it's kind of like one of those questions of, um, like, like fish and water, you know? If you asked a fish, how's the water? They would say, what water, you know? It's tough to talk about this kind of conversation because living in America, we're just so used to it. Unless you're an immigrant who just got here, you know, really recently, um, you know, I, if you were raised in this country, it's hard to know how the, how our culture just, our society has influenced the church and potentially has shifted us off the mission of what Jesus had in mind when he gathered his church together. Now, I could say a lot of things, but I want to talk about this one thing in particular because I believe there's many things I could say, and I want to be here all morning, right? But to keep us on target, I think something that has deeply defiled us as an American church is our obsession with our own preferences and how our preferences have actually divided us taken away our witness as a church, has caused there to be way too many churches in one single spot who um, don't speak one another, who, don't, uh, uh, who aren't together. Um, in one particular instance, I want to mention that I just, I, I feel, you know, there's many ways we can talk about this. I want to mention this, okay? Because hopefully it'll be just a gateway to think, oh yeah, interesting, what do we do about this, right? Somebody once said, a very wise man named Martin Luther King Jr., on TV once one morning, he said, uh, he said these, and I will quote from him. I think it is one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies of our nation, that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour 
in America. I definitely think that the Christian church should be integrated and that any church that stands against integration that has a segregated body is standing against the spirit and the teachings of Jesus Christ and fails to be a witness. Now he was saying this, of course, in a time when that was a a huge thing to say, right? I'm not, I don't think that we struggle with um, classically speaking the issues as to why that wasn't the case in his day. But I still want to observe the fact that there are a whole lot of white churches and black churches in Wilmington together here. And we're not together often, right? Um, and I was talking to my wife about this this week. Like, what, what keeps Christians from, from truly worshiping together, right? What would keep um, a Hispanic or a black or a white church from really actually being together if, if there's a shared doctrine, shared love for Jesus, a shared, you know, uh, understanding of what church is all? What, what keeps us together? And the only answer is, it's just preferences, we don't like somebody's music, this, this version of music, this version of that, this version of this. You know, the gospel message is one that says, Jesus is reconciling all people to himself. There is life and death and resurrection. Part of the good news is that he is, is bridging all the things that have divided us and, and the things in our society and just for thousands of years have divided people groups. He is actually ushering together through his Holy Spirit. But what keeps us apart here, there's still so often our own preferences, what we like and what we don't like. We enjoy our freedoms in America. We enjoy the freedom of worship, but I I often worry. There's more questions that go into this. I often worry that our freedoms as the church can, and in many instances, have allowed us to slowly curve in on ourselves and make the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, and his radical grace-filled mission to redeem humanity back to himself. I'm afraid that we can often make it primarily not about seeking and knowing him and being with Jesus, not primarily about seeking his presence in our lives, but rather just making this whole church experience this is like curated experience where we find a church that tickles our fancies and our preferences and we, we make it ultimately about us. And we sit back and wonder, where's this next spiritual renewal coming? When is it coming? When is it coming? When's the next revival? When is the Spirit of God truly going to move in ways it did in the past? Where, where is it happening? When is it going to happen? And I think God is, he was trying to get their attention here. And I often think he's trying to get our attention. He's saying, what, why are you here? Why do you go to church? What is the thing that you're actually looking for, right? Um, I've seen churches divide over music, churches divide over things that are unnecessary. Now, I will say there's, you know, a church even down the street that says, that claims, you know, that Christianity is just one way to God. And, and you know, there's part of all the religions that are all true. And, you know, it's okay to divide over that, okay? That's not Christianity. There are reasons to divide, but I think that, is our work defiled? Are we, are we making the church be primarily about us in many ways? In verse 17, okay, the, the, the Hebrew here, I want to reread that verse in 17 here. God was trying to get their attention by reducing the effects of um, their work, okay? Actually striking it with punishment. In verse 17, he says, I struck all the work of your hands with blight, with mildew and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Uh, you can actually translate that in the Hebrew um, when it says you did not return to me um, it speaks of their heart not turning towards God and, and, and one scholar said he could easily just say that they didn't want him 
They didn't want him. Now, it seems harsh, because I guarantee you, if you talk to those Israelites living in that, those days, they would have said, of course, like, I, I want God. We're in the promised land. We sacrificed everything to come and travel all these miles back to the promised land. Like, of course, I want him, right? Of course, I love Yahweh God. Of course, I desire him. I don't think they would have denied that. But in Remember in chapter 1, Haggai is like, well, you are living in your paneled homes and making this about you. So you may, you may have sacrificed much to get here. And it may be, you know, that you've, you've shown that your heart kind of, you know, you're looking for God, but you still made this all about you because you weren't actually really after me, were you? You replaced me with you. So what are you saying? You've replaced me with your paneled homes. You've replaced me with your comfortability. You've replaced me with the things that make you cozy, right? And when I talk about, I titled this sermon series, Resisting Casual Christianity, because casual Christianity is really just kind of finding something that just makes the most sense for you that, you know, is something that you agree with, is something that's just comfortable for you, and just kind of hitting that cruise control and saying, this is nice, I like this place because this is a place for me, because it's what I like, and boom, you're just kind of cruising on. God was trying to wake them up. Economically, that harvest that year was not good at all, right? And if we often wonder why the, we look around and wonder, when will power be back in the church? When will, when will God show up again in mass ways that he has in times past, right? Um, I, I, I think this is a wake-up call to, to really ask these questions, right? Uh, are we here to meet Jesus, are we here to look at what he is doing, what he desires, what he is up to, chasing after his agenda, even if it's radically different than any kind of work that you experienced in the past? Even if it means you, you find yourself in something uncomfortable, something that's really deeply challenging you, right? Because, I mean, I, I'm trying to just speak into this and just hear me out. Like, convenience and comfortability is just, it's a, it's a tyrant in our country. I mean, who has an Amazon Prime membership, Right? Yeah, most of us. Could you imagine not having Amazon anymore? I mean, stuff like magically appears in my front door the day when I ordered it, and I didn't have to leave my house. He wants to go back to having to shop for, like, batteries, you know, down the street. No, I'd get my car and drive. Like, no, I want to stay in my house. It's, it's a tyrant here, right? And there's just all these things in our country just it continually, we're, I mean, we're the most narcissistic country on earth, and we all know this. It makes everything about us. Right? And I'm just asking questions. How are we bringing that to the church today? Is this, are we really orienting this church to be about Jesus Christ and not about us? What could God do among us? Could there be a future blessing for us if we opened ourselves up to this question and were willing to ask these hard? This is a blind spot. It's difficult to speak into blind spots because we're so accustomed to it, right? We're, we're, un, we're as unaware to them as a fish is to water, right? And I think this is our blind spot in our churches today. But there's something that, that God calls these people to, and there's a result of his calling that happens. And I want to really pay attention to this because I, I wish I could just have answers as to, you know, uh, like how, how do we, you know, see this church with these kind of questions and ask these hard questions and, and have clarity. And I don't know, there's a lot of work to do there. Please, you know, pray as, as I genuinely just want to um, uh, not settle for something that I'm used to and accustomed to as, as I seek to pastor this church, 
because that's the easy part, you know? I, I, that's, that's the easy way to do this. I don't wanna do that. I wanna say, God, what do you have for this church that may be so unexpected and so different? And I want to be open to that work. Um, and so just pray for, for that. But there's something that can happen now, right? That happened amongst these people that is really fascinating and brings us back to the heart of the gospel message. In verse 18, it says this. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive oil have not borne fruit, right? He's saying, check it out. Most commentators would say the barn was kind of empty. Is there seed in there? Not this year. Things are looking pretty grim. Hey, has a vine produced fruit? Not, not this year. Things are pretty grim. What happens here? But from this day on, I will bless you. There's a blessing. Well, what happened? Right? What happened? How, how did the blessing come? Well, if you look in chapter one of the, of the book, we're kind of going full circle here. They started building the temple. The spirits of God stirred their hearts and they got to work. Now they weren't finished with the temple in chapter two. The project was not complete at this point, okay? They simply started the project because their hearts had experienced a change. Their hearts experienced a change. And I think this is how God begins his work in our lives. Um, he, he provides a blessing that begins when our heart is changed. And that's where this process begins, right? He didn't say, I want to withhold my blessing until you're finished with this temple. And then you earned it, right? Um, there's some versions of, you know, you hear Christianity, some versions say, do X, Y, Z, and then God will do X, Y, Z. And that's not exactly the gospel message, right? Because these people weren't, they weren't done with their work, and God said, I'm going to bless you because your heart has changed. Your heart is now oriented toward me. Expect a blessing even here and now. Um, to, 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 to look at this, right, um, from this perspective, this is why this conversation is so important for you and I. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.17 had this to say. This is from Paul. He says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not without words, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. When we have a heart oriented towards God and we say, Jesus, we cry out to him, say, I need you. This is all about you. The cross's power is found. When we try to make things about other things, the cross is emptied of its power. Do you understand this? This is why this conversation is so, so important. But with our hearts are turned, he unleashes a blessing on us in grace when we simply have a change of mind. When we are open to this, say, Lord, help my heart to change. Like, it, 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 I'm, I'm open to this conversation. I'm open to, to rethink this idea of church and just what you may have for us in, the, in this next season. Lord, I don't want this to be about me. I want this to be about you and your glory and being an ambassador for you. Jesus, open my eyes to this, this challenge. Um, is our work defiled here in our American church? Like, how so? Help me to respond to this. If we're even open to this and, 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 and starts repenting if there's ways that we need to, uh, we we'll begin to see a blessing that is unleashed. 
as the book of Haggai kind of comes to a close, we're going to see that this message ultimately is not about the finished product of the temple. Is not about the finished temple. Is not about the finished journey of finally finding God's presence and embracing it and seeking it and working harder to no longer be defiled, right? For here, it was about the change of heart that leads to a change life. It's not about the finished product. Spiritual renewal begins first by desiring God. And God can bring about a soft heart towards him. God can bring about a soft heart towards him. Ezekiel spoke of this, right? Ezekiel 36 says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord, it is not for your sake that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations, right? He talks about verse 25, sprinkling clean water on us, um, that are, that, uh, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from all the idols, I will cleanse you, I will give you new hearts, I will give you a new spirit, I will put within you, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When the spirit of God enters our hearts, our hearts become oriented towards God himself. And he wants this in us and he wants this in our church. He wants this radically in Emmanuel Church. It is fundamentally saying that our existence as a church as Christians, we have to keep repeating this. It is not about us, is it about Jesus? And this is where Haggai ends. It actually ends with a glimpse of the future, of the end of days, and a glimpse of Jesus Christ to orient this nation towards what is to come. In verses 20 through 24, it ends this way. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones. I will shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. The future was on his mind. He was talking about the end of days and he's going to shape the world and we see this in Revelation that's coming. But according to Matthew 1, this is where, you know, Jesus shows up. Uh, guess who was um, uh, uh, one of the great, great, great grandchildren of Zerubbabel? It was Jesus, right? He had chosen the family of David as Zerubbabel was the son of David and he was pointing towards the Messiah that was going to be coming throughout Zerubbabel to this nation of Israel. We know he has come and Jesus will come, right? But until he comes, can we be a church that is radically about Jesus and Jesus alone? We are not here for our church's legacy. We are not here to prop up our church's story. If we become about preserving our church's legacy, we will be defiled, right? A good litmus test, what if one day our church is no longer called Emmanuel Church. We change our name. Does it matter? What are we about? Right? What are we about? Are we about the work of God? Are we about the name of this church? These are the hard questions we have to ask to help us oriented towards why we're actually here. What are we doing here? Why are we committed here? And what does Jesus have for us and this church? If we allow the gospel to be the main thing, 
the main desire of our hearts. I'm, t- I'm here to tell you, and I promise you, the Spirit of God will work here. He will bring renewal to, to this church. He will spread his renewal to this city. It will bleed out amongst our city. And the book of Haggai ultimately is a call to seek Jesus and his presence with all of our hearts, with all of our lives, and the life of this church with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Um, Every Sunday is an invitation for us to do this. It's an invitation for this to take place in us, to remind us all that we are sinners with sick hearts in need of the grace from Jesus. And when we invite the Holy Spirit to come, we are inviting conviction of sin, inviting him to do new work among us that's going to challenge us to have a continual change of mind and heart towards him and away from us and to fill our church with his power and presence to truly give Wilmington a glimpse, not of Emmanuel Church, not of the glories of Emmanuel Church, but to give the city a glimpse as Jesus prayed on earth as it is in heaven, to give the city a glimpse of the work of God through us, a glimpse of heaven in Wilmington. Do you guys track with me this morning? Can we pray for these things? Um, That's all I have prepared this morning. Um, I want to uh, now have a time of prayer. Um, I threw out some challenges for you guys. We're going to have people available up front here. Um, I really just, uh, and the worship team can come forward now as well. I want this to be a time of reflection, obviously response as well. Because I know that if we give all of ourselves to Jesus, and we're willing for that to take place in our life, and we begin asking questions, Lord, is, 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 is my commitment to you about something other that's not you, Lord? We ask these hard questions. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and Shine upon you and be great.
your plan, your purpose, may your spirit go before us and behind us.